0: That's BlueNile.com.
1: Hello and welcome to Made by Mamas, the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood, tips and tricks, products we love and brands that we can't live without. Let's get into it.
2: Morning, Zoe. How are you? <laughs> what? Do you want me to lie or should I tell you the truth? Um, somewhere in the middle <laughs> would be good.
1: <laughs> my, to- my toddler has turned into the devil. Um, My beautiful blue-eyed boy that could do no wrong, the prince, is the prince of darkness now. And <laughs> to be honest with you, it's 8.35, it's Tuesday morning. I've already put him on the naughty step five times because he's a little shit. The whining is uncontrollable. I mean, he's learned oh from the God. best. He's learned from the absolute pro because Luna is the master at all kinds of whinging. But we've just come out of it with her. And obviously it's quite late being three and a half. I was like, oh yeah, she's finally out of it. And now Kit's entered it. And it's like, this is what it sounds like. I wanna, wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, and he just keeps going, oh on and on and on eventually this morning i was like shut up i just can't, I just can't take it it's torture oh,
2: yeah it is torture i i said to you before i really think that 18 months to two and a half is difficult it's like when they can't speak properly to communicate exactly how they're feeling but they've got a really loud voice I mean, who, who invented that? <laughs> who invented that? Who said you could be able to make that loud of a noise before you could talk? Oh, God. That the, is annoying. Do you
1: know what I What I find fascinating is how they have the ability to repeat themselves all yeah. the time. The repetition must get... <laughs> isn't it boring for them? Isn't it tedious? Doesn't it irritate them? No. Yeah. It's almost like they get a kick out of it. So, yeah. I mean, i I like... The naughty step works for a second. I go in, and then uh, he sits on the stairs, and I go, Are you going to come and eat your breakfast now." And he goes, "Yes." I go, you "Stop moaning, yes." And then he gives me a cuddle, and I'm like, "Oh, nailed this." Bring him back in, and then just starts all over again. And then we go back. I just don't think it. I just don't think it works. I'm just oh not sure.
0: Goodness. I don't know how
1: to be a parent. I'm not very good at it.
2: <laughs> well, I think that everyone, it, it's each child. It's, you're basically have yeah. to be a different parent to every child you have. Yeah. So even if you had 10 children, you wouldn't know the 10th better than the first. I, I yeah. really don't think. Yeah. It's so hard. It's
1: really hard. How are you? How's things your end?
2: Yeah, okay. We had a nice, like, birthday weekend for Gigi. Um, yeah, it's been all, all okay. It's a bit chaotic here. Yeah. Um, Still sleeping on the bottom bunk.
1: Oh, bounce. Oh. wow
2: wow. <laughs> I know. The countdown is on, though. The <laughs> countdown is on. What, the countdown um, to a
1: really good shagging or the countdown to <laughs> moving into our own bed? <laughs> Do
2: you know what? I'm much more interested in the mattress than the bed, to be quite honest with you. Sounds <laughs> good. Brilliant.
3: Brilliant.
2: Um, yeah, hopefully it won't be too long. But we're just like, we've got, we found out who Axel's teacher's going to be in September. Oh, brilliant. His days that he's going in in July um just like to meet people it feels yeah. really real now I'm yeah. like oh my goodness this is serious stuff well
1: I mean that's it kind of the, your little boy is, yeah. is kind of flying the nest to a bit to a degree he'll be there every single day won't he from nine till 3 15.
2: Yeah it's mad and um it's I don't know. I think the whole thing of like having the school uniform and a book bag and yeah. all that, it feels so grown up. Yeah. And he's still yeah. three. He's three at the moment. Do you know what I mean? And he's yeah. only just going to turn four before he goes. And I think before like you know a couple of years ago oh yeah he's a summer baby oh yeah 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 he'll be fine he'll be fine and then you get to it and you're like oh my god no he's only three yeah well it's mad that
1: that Luna and Axel are only three weeks apart in age and they're going to be in school years
2: oh I know and then it's when you see that on the flip as well so Mm. the the kids that are turning five and he's just turned four yeah like oh wow how does that you know that's It's crazy. um...
1: We've just got Luna into a local preschool as well because obviously she was she was we we moved house in lockdown as you know and her old preschool is kind of twenty five minutes away so I've had to move her to one near to the new place Um, so she's going to be going four and a half days um, eight thirty until three fifteen. Monday it's the same, again. isn't exactly it? exactly the same, basically, yeah. And she yeah. just cannot wait. I mean, that Kino's literally, like, packed her bags oh. for a Ibiza already. <laughs> <laughs> when can I go on my back it? Um, oh, God.
2: Not don't. Yet, mate. No, <laughs> and
1: yeah. how, how's the sleep situation going with G Gigi?
2: Gigi, oh, don't ask me that, because if I answer, it will mess up. I'm no. going to ask you about your sleep situation in your house.
1: Well... <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fine I think it's one of those topics that we always feel that if we talk about we end up jinxing it you know it's yeah. one of those things you say to your mate oh my god my child slept through the night and then you get a hell of a week ahead of you for some yeah. reason but the sleep god just goes fuck you fuck yeah, you yeah
2: exactly yeah um, oh they're getting a good they're getting a good time over there yeah. let's mess it up <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's just stir that pot up for them but um yeah we we I think it's because it's summer and because we've moved. We're having a few issues settling the kids. Normally, they'd go down straight away. At the moment, the bird song, you know, obviously Luna's asked to turn the birds off a few times. Like She's still awake now at like 8.30 at night. I've got a feeling it's to do with the fact that she's dropped her daytime nap. Lots of people yeah. have a theory that the more overtired they are, the worse they are at sleeping. It's like it has yeah. a knock-on effect, you know. She only dropped her daytime nap, what, I want to say April. So yeah. actually, we got quite a long three and a half. She was when she stopped doing it. Loads of, yeah, kids of it, two, two and a half, don't they? Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, they really do. But
1: actually, I think it's having a bit of an effect now on what's happening with her sleeping pattern. She is obviously an early riser, which I've spoken about before. Um, and yeah, so things are things are always up and down. Basically, we never know what sort of night we're going to get.
0: Oh
2: gosh! What about you? That- do you know what? We're all right, but I don't want to say it, but we are okay. We're sleeping.
1: Georgie, you um, are going to have to talk about sleep on this podcast. Yeah, this I podcast. know,
2: I know. And I say this in the podcast later, but I feel like as soon as you say it, then it messes up. But we, um, it's interesting you say about the overtiredness thing, because as when Axel dropped his daytime nap, we actually moved bedtime from seven till six. And... It made such a big difference. He'll wake up at like between half six and quarter past seven now, I guess, in the morning. But he sleeps that's, 12. Wow. that's a long time. Do you know what I mean? Like yesterday he was well asleep. I mean, I went up there, at um, just gone, I think it was like ten past six or something after we'd finished recording and he was asleep. And this morning he didn't wake up till quarter past seven.
1: Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> I know. I know. And. I think it's that overtiredness thing, like, especially over the weekend, he had like quite a few late nights, later nights, um, and I always, I'm I'm always conscious of that now, and I Mm. always try and like, gradually just, you know, like, get that time back almost. I think some kids, like, you put them to bed at eight, and then they'll wake up at eight. I mean, that doesn't happen for me. If I put him to bed at 10, he'll still wake up between half six and quarter past seven. There's no difference. So I'd rather just send him to bed early.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know what? We're exactly the same. People say, "Why don't you just try putting them to bed a bit later?" It doesn't work for us. They're just more tired and more drunk in the morning. Yeah, it doesn't. Hmm.
2: Um, If only that did work, but it doesn't. I don't think. I know.
1: So obviously, this is a subject that Georgia and I and you guys listening love talking about. Sleep is one of the most popular topics um, on um, our Instagram and just between mates in general. You know, yeah. it's like searching for the holy grail. Have you got the Have you got the right ingredients to make our child sleep through the night? Um, everyone's searching for it. So we thought we haven't done a sleep podcast for a while. So we thought we'd get. Um, somebody slightly different a male voice on the podcast this time um and an an american accent but a pediatrician um from los angeles he has worked with a load of kind of celebrities children like big name like big hollywood names kids we didn't actually talk about it on the podcast i didn't want to ask him but who's he looked after? do we know who he's looked after
2: i think he's quite um it's But they are when he sort of mentioned, when he sort of mentioned names before, they were movie stars and oh. baseball players and um, yeah, big, big, big names. So he definitely I mean he knows his stuff.
1: But um, what I love about that is that even with the biggest name in the world, they're still calling people oh, gang.
2: My exactly. child's not sleeping Exactly. And do you know what? I think that it just goes to show you can have all of the help, all of the money to throw at it yeah. and still we all run into trouble
1: really really interesting chat from him and we answered lots of your questions during the podcast as well so we really hope this is going to be useful so georgia who are we chatting to today
2: today we are chatting to dr Harvey carp
1: So, another lockdown recording, um, this time slightly more transatlantic, as one of us is in Los Angeles and two of us are in the UK. Today, we are talking to a pediatrician and founder of the Snoop, sleep expert Dr. Harvey Karp.
0: Yay! Yay!
3: Welcome! How are you? Fine, thanks, except now I'm covered with confetti and balloons.
2: <laughs> oh, oh my, my goodness! Why? <laughs> because of my amazing. <laughs> <gasps> I was thinking, what? What's just happened? <laughs> I actually have got balloons around me at the moment because it was Gigi's first birthday over the weekend. And I was thinking, oh, oh happy birthday. maybe it was a birthday in your house too. But no, obviously not. It's just, just the um, intro, Yeah, I get it now. It's fine. Sorry. Yeah. This time of day, my brain has completely gone to pot. So, so, yeah. <laughs> so Abby, um, would you just explain
1: to anybody that's listening that hasn't um, kind of heard of you and what you do, just kind of explain exactly what it is that you kind of do day to day?
3: Sure. Of course. Uh, Well, I'm a pediatrician and child developmentalist. I practice pediatrics in the office with thousands and thousands of families over about uh, 25 years. But then I started writing books about things that I had observed. Um, uh, One book is called Happiest Baby on the Block, which talks about how you. Um, really kind of a discovery of something called a calming reflex, which is, uh, kind of almost an off switch for crying and an on switch for sleep for little babies. And then a book called the happiest toddler on the block, which is for kids, eight months to five, six years of age, which talks about a new way to communicate with young children to eliminate, um, uh, many of their temper tantrums, but more importantly, to help them develop emotional resilience and strength and then a book on sleep. So I've been really teaching and lecturing about that for for 15, 18 years or so, um, all all around the world. And um, we have thousands of educators teaching these techniques in 20 different nations. And then more recently, just a few years ago, I launched a new type of a baby bed um, that is a kind of a a caring bed it rocks and shushes babies and responds to their needs it's it's really we joke it's really like your older sister moved in and uh (laughs) said you go to sleep i'm gonna hold and rock the baby all night and um We've now been using that. We have we have uh, tens and tens of thousands of families, well over hundred thousand families using that and this and is it's new, hospitals. Right? This is snow exactly.
2: Yes, we're mad. Yeah, about this is absolutely <laughs> <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit more how it works as well?
3: Yeah, sure. Well, here's the interesting thing about I mean, there's so many there's so many myths and misunderstandings about infant sleep, which is shocking if you think about it, because you think we've been around babies forever. We should just know everything. I mean, how complex could it be? And that everyone would just know what to do. And that's the end of the story. And yet, um, if you go on the internet or you speak to other moms, I mean, you'll get, you know, you ask three questions, you will get 12 different opinions. Yeah. So it's, it's quite odd that we haven't figured it all out. Um, but, um, but, I would say that my goal and, and what I there, I think the reason that millions of parents have used um, used you know, my, my book and video um, is that it gives a very simple understanding about how babies do work and how to be able to get them to sleep. So the key concept is this, that um our babies, in a kind of an odd sort of way, are born four months before they're ready to be in the world. Um, Not that I ever convinced a woman to try that. It's just a theory, (laughs) right? Don't try that at home. But um, but honestly, if you see a baby monkey or a baby chimpanzee, right away they can cling onto their mother's fur. They're able to communicate, feed themselves. They're much more ready to be in the world than our baby. Um, So we give birth to little fetuses, and your job after the baby is born is to hold them and rock them and feed them frequently and cuddle them and massage them and, and basically be one big walking uterus for the first four months. Yeah. Um, and even if you hold your baby 14 hours a day, from their point of view, that's a ripoff, right? Meaning that when we put them in a still bed at night, you know, tiptoe, the baby is sleeping and and you put the baby in the still bed, no sound unswaddle lying on their backs. And we think that's normal. That's actually the most abnormal way you can put a baby to sleep. Because just a minute ago, they were inside of you. And in the womb, it is a symphony of sensations. The sound is louder than a vacuum cleaner. Uh, The motion is constant. Even when you're asleep, every time you breathe, you're rocking the top of your diaphragm. And the baby is bundled up in this tight little, um, little fetal ball. Um, And so putting them flat on their back in a bed, it's weird for babies. And they don't sleep well like that. Um, They need these cues that they're used to, just like you need cues, right? I mean, you probably sleep in a bed with a certain type of a pillow, and a certain type of a mattress, and a certain type of a duvet or comforter. And when you go to a hotel, even though you could sleep on the floor, you don't have to have a bed, you're not gonna sleep very well if we take away everything that you're used to. And that's what happens with babies. When we take away everything that they're used to, their sleep falls apart, becomes much less predictable. And suddenly they're waking up more often, three, four, five times a night. And we scratch our heads thinking, why isn't the baby doing better? And it's because we've taken away all of the cues that they had before they were born. Mm-hmm. So recognizing that we developed a bed that has constant sound has constant motion to imitate the womb experience swaddles the baby safely and keeps the baby swaddled on the back so that the baby gets the benefits of swaddling without any risks that are associated with swaddling and then further the bed responds to the baby in the middle of the night or during naps if the baby fusses the bed responds with a little bit more motion and sound actually four different levels of increasing motion and sound which really imitates what you would do if you had the baby in your lap.
1: I mean, when you break it down like that, Harvey, and you look at you know what we go through as parents in the first six months of, of having the baby, there's yeah. this pressure when the baby is born to people say to you, oh – you know, are they sleeping through the night? And you're like, well, no, they're not. They're waking up six times a night. I'm absolutely exhausted. I haven't slept for months. And it starts, the sleep deprivation on the, on the parent's side starts to really get inside your head. I wish I'd had this for Luna like nearly four years ago when I was going through hell. So Luna, my first daughter, she would only sleep on me for literally, I think, probably three months. Of and, I, and I almost felt ashamed to have that conversation with people because people were like, oh, you let her sleep on you? And I'm like, well, she can hear my heartbeat. You know, she had a bit of reflux as well, so she kind of had to be upright. But there are so many things that we kind of have to go through in those first you know, months of the baby being born, that actually the snow sounds incredible if that if, if that fixes <laughs> fixes those problems.
3: <laughs> well, well, let me ask you, were you worried about holding your baby all night? Were you concerned about no. her rolling to an unsafe position?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I barely slept. I mean, I, I just, mm. I, I, I'm funny with my sleeping anyway because I'm a front sleeper. So I, I and then to, for me to be kind of propped upright and have her like a little monkey, she was just on my front. But I think I, I hear a lot of people going through that exactly the same yeah.
3: And you know something? It, it isn't just kind of a, a little bit of a joke. Oh, my baby never sleeps and that kind of thing. This is a very, very serious impact on the family health. Yeah. Uh, London School of Economics did a study a few years back showing that the the costs in the UK of postnatal depression is well over 8 billion pounds a year, just from postnatal yeah. depression. And when you're not sleeping well, you have marital stress, you have breastfeeding failure, you have obesity because you're overeating and you're not exercising, you have car accidents, you have overtreatment with medication for things like acid reflux, which really mostly doesn't exist or very little exists. Much It's much overtreated. Um, visits to the doctor. It's billions of doll- billions of pounds of healthcare costs and billions of pounds of employer costs because you can't keep your job, you're so tired, or you, you're a- absent from work, or you have healthcare costs that are raising the costs of the employer. So it's quite a serious problem, even though right. we We throw up our hands in exasperation and think there's nothing can be done. I wanna tell you the thing that for me was the most compelling reason that I tried to find the solution because I believed it existed. We physicians and, and midwives tell new mothers, you know what? Listen, you're just not going to sleep a lot in the beginning. Babies don't sleep a lot. They wake up every two, three hours. They have to do that to eat. So that's what you're signing up for. That's what you need to expect. It may take four, five, six months before your baby is sleeping through the night and actually half of babies at six months are still waking up in the middle of the night. And unfortunately that's just what they do. That's what every pediatric book says, every parenting book, every parent expert, except. That can't be right. The reason it can't be right is because from the other side of our mouth, we say something completely different. We say, you know what, if your baby is colicky or your baby is not sleeping well, you know what you can do? Put him in the car, go for a car ride. And if you drive your car all night long, I guarantee
0: (laughs) your
2: baby
3: will sleep an extra hour or two. Am I right?
2: Yeah, I mean, the car, yeah. So, well, actually, yeah, so, didn't Kit hate the car? So so I'm going to
1: sort of step in here and go against that because my, my son, Kit, who's now two, I know you just mentioned about the, the whole acid reflux thing, but he had terrible reflux, Harvey, like terrible. I couldn't put him on his back in any position. He was foaming at the mouth. He cried all day long. And the sleep was a nightmare for us. He wouldn't sit in his car seat. I couldn't take him out in the pram. I basically spent the first six months of his life. In hell, because my, uh, my little boy was in such, it, it was, he was in so much pain. So, and until I got him on his omeprazole, which seemed to settle everything, but he's still not a fan of the car now and he's too.
3: Fascinating. Yes. Well, so that's the exception that proves the rule perhaps. And here's the interesting thing. You, you said even in the car seat, yet people put babies in car seats so that they have relief from acid reflux.
0: Yeah.
3: So it's- I want to tell you why I say this is a major misdiagnosis. Because when you put the baby on the back and they're foaming and they're crying, you interpret that oftentimes as the baby having reflux. Well, it turns out all babies have reflux. We call it spitting up. And that's absolutely normal for the first four or six months of life. Why don't all babies cry and have problems? Well, the reason is because the bigger reason that they're crying on the back is because that's a very abnormal position for babies. It's the position of falling. And so we, we physicians used to only recommend that babies sleep on the stomach up until the 1990s, we told parents never let the baby sleep on the back because we thought they would vomit and choke on their vomit, but it turns out we were completely wrong, 180 degrees wrong. And the, and while babies slept longer on the stomach, because they don't like being on the back, oftentimes they were at greater risk of cot death when they were on the stomach.
1: Why was that? Sorry to interrupt you, Dr. what Why was, why is that? Because obviously babies do, you know, I, I mean, it's quite, I don't know whether I should admit this, but I actually did sleep. I actually did eventually have to front sleep Kit. I had a, an alarm <laughs> sensor and an Angel Care alarm sensor under his mattress, but it was the only way that I could get him to sleep. To, to become, I was exactly. going to say,
2: my, my daughter Gigi from pretty much day one wanted to sleep on her front, um, and I sort of fought it. I fought it for about four months, and then I realised that that's how she wanted to sleep, and I've let her sleep on her front from then. Um, but again, I, I used a sensor.
3: Yep, yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, this, so here's the way it works babies in the womb. here's the key concept. The key concept is the fourth trimester. You want to imitate the womb experience. And that's what makes babies happy. Every mother, every grandmother, every nurse has known that since time immemorial, you hold them, you rock them, you cuddle them in your arms, you have them skin to skin, you have them in little rounded balls in your arms. You know, you don't let their arms flail around when they're, when they're fussing, you swaddle them with your arms, even if you don't use a blanket, you shush them. Every culture around the world goes shh or s, which imitates the sound that the babies are hearing in the womb. All of that is like the, the deep wisdom that we have about calming babies. So why do you, why do they prefer lying on the stomach? It's really not so much. They prefer that as much as it is that they hate being on the back because the back is a position of alarm. It's a position of falling for babies. And so that's a discomfort in and of itself And then when they're on their stomachs that inhibits this, um, this uncontrolled motion and startling of their hands. So it allows them to be more, um, restrained in terms of their motor activity. So those are the main reasons. And then the last reason is touching the stomach and the chest is a sensation that the babies have in the womb. When they're packaged up in that tight little ball, their arms are tightly pressed against their chest their knees are tightly pressed against their stomachs. And so oftentimes parents will say, if I just put a hand on my baby's chest, that's comforting for my baby just by doing that. That is again, imitating the womb experience. Now, the problem is that the stomach sleeping increases the risk of cot death by three or 400%. So that's the reason why physicians don't want you to do that. Right. And so the question is, can we find the balance? can we find the way that is safe for babies um, uh, to be sleeping, but on their backs, but yet giving them other sensations that help to make up for the fact that they're on their back, that help them not to be so annoyed that they're on their backs, because we're kind of making it up other ways. And here's where the interesting um, kind of equation comes in. So it turns out babies have over 70 reflexes that they're born with, remember, I said that they're very immature, they're really fetuses, mm-hmm. they're not ready for the world. They, they have simple abilities to learn, they learn, um, even before they're born to recognize your voice and to recognize certain flavors that come from your food into the amniotic fluid. But they're not great learners by four months, they're fantastic learners. They've learned to smile and coo and interact and do great things. But in the first first few months, they don't have that ability. However, what they do have are things that we call reflexes. They're born with over 70 reflexes, which are complex behaviors that are automatic. It's like the built-in software into their brain. So for example, you don't teach a baby how to cry. They're born knowing how to do that. And let me tell you, that is critically important for their survival. Mm. If a baby couldn't cry, they wouldn't have a way of telling you when they were hungry or when they were in pain or in need. They're born knowing how to suck and how to swallow. You don't have to teach them. Imagine if you had to teach them how to suck. Honey, honey, no, breathe now. No, no, breathe now suck. No, swallow now. You know, you couldn't do it. So they're born with these reflexes. Um, And one of the reflexes, which is really my observation, which we didn't know before, is the calming reflex, that when you imitate the motion and the sound and the holding and the rocking in a certain kind of a way, you're oftentimes able to precipitously calm a a crying baby, meaning they go from screaming to quiet in five seconds, And so that's what this DVD, the happiest baby DVD is about. I don't even recommend the book, to be honest with you. It's a good book. It's interesting, but you really learn it better by watching. Um, uh, Kind of like learning how to tie your shoelaces. You learn better by watching. So it turns out that, that the back position is the safe position, but it is not reassuring to babies. But listen, when you make a stew, if you don't have enough potatoes, you can put in more carrots and turnips to make up for the fact that you don't have potatoes. When you're calming a baby, some babies are most sensitive to position. Yeah. Some babies are more sensitive to sound. And they're, they're fine with the back position as long as they have white noise. Other babies, the position and the white noise don't matter, they need motion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they need that rocking to really feel reassured. All of them really benefit from swaddling because when they're on their back, if they're not swaddled, their arms are flailing about and they're waking themselves up and disturbing themselves. And so as a mother or a father, in the very beginning, the first you know weeks, you will learn, ah, this is what my baby loves. And you guys learned that very, very well, that the stomach position was one of the things that your kids loved. Yeah. It turns yeah. out if you did the right type of swaddling with the arms down, and you added the right type of white noise and the right type of motion i would say 95% of these babies who insist on being on the stomach do perfectly well on the back
1: i was just going to ask the question and i was just going to say do we do we now feel that it's kind of one size fits all because we're told that you know every baby is very different and unique and you know, as we've said, some babies like the pram, some babies like being in a dark room, some babies like white what noise. But I think what you're saying is, is that maybe you've come up with the formula to crack all of that.
3: Well, that's exactly right. And I don't want to say that all babies are the same because, as I just said, they're born with different preferences. They're born with different temperaments. Some babies are surfer dudes. They're very mild-mannered. Other babies are, you know, uh, highly flammable and they're very, very passionate And, um, and so some babies, when they cry are zero to 60 in, 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 you know, five seconds and others just whimper before they really get upset. So babies are quite different. However, they are much more similar than they are different. Toddlers are much more different than they are similar. And then as they get older, they express their individuality more and more. But listen, babies, they like rocking. They like shushing. They like being held. They like being fed. We only feed them milk. Um, they need a certain number of hours of sleep. It's more or less anywhere from 13 to 15 hours. There are very great similarities of all babies in all cultures in, through all time. So from a baby point of view, and as you have older kids, you yeah. recognize this. When you have your first baby, you go, my God, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. When you have your second baby and you have a two-year-old, you go, oh, my God, the baby stuff is much easier than I remember. The toddler is a difficult one.
1: So we'll be back right after this. And now, save 40% on the Sleep
0: Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only
1: at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: Now, let's pick up where we left off with our wonderful guest. I was going to um, just ask some questions from our followers, if that's okay, because um, there's quite a few, you know, things I think might, um, you know, might sort of play into your technique. Someone called Lisa has said, how do I encourage a seven-month-old to self-settle for naps and, and night sleep without a comfort to suck? So I guess that's without like a dummy.
3: Sure. Well, a couple of things. Number one, if you, during the first six months, establish good sleep patterns, uh, but however, even once you have good sleep, by seven months or eight months, babies oftentimes are waking up because they're teething or they have a cold or a growth spurt or they're learning to crawl and they're so excited by that new um, capability. And so you do want to give babies um, s- uh, something to soothe them at night. By seven or eight months um, or nine months, we usually say they can have a small um, lovey in the bed with them, like a little silky like handkerchief.
2: Like a comforter, yeah.
3: Yeah, something small that they can't, you know, get their face in and suffocate, of course, um, but something that they can reach to and be reassured by uh, during the daytime. Um, what about a soother? It turns out that – or, or, or a, a, a dummy. It turns out that the use of, of dummies is um, something that runs in families. If you used a dummy or you had a teddy that was your reassuring, you know, little, little helper when you were a young child or your spouse did, chances are your child will want that as well. And if you don't give them the dummy, chances are they'll start sucking on their thumb, which is a much more difficult habit to break. So in in general, if you're having a rough time with sleep right now, I wouldn't worry about using the dummy and I wouldn't worry about using another lovey. And then once sleep is back into a normal trend, then you might try Uh, eliminating it again in general, between six and eight months or nine months is the right time to eliminate it unless the child is sucking their fingers, in which case you'd rather have a dummy than sucking the fingers. And I would say it's very important to be using a rumbly white noise all night long. That is a cue that all babies should sleep with really for the first several years of life because it helps them to not pay attention to all of the crazy thoughts that they're starting to have Um, And it is an enormous benefit for sleep, just as you might use a pillow to help you sleep. White noise is a is a lovey or a teddy bear uh, that reassures babies all night long.
1: You know, Doctor, I completely agree with you. And uh, both Georgia and I are massive fans of white noise. We both had amazing white noise machines when our kids, you know, Kit used it for the first 18 months of his life. And he absolutely loved it. And he sleeps straight through. So it definitely, works, cool. definitely works. Definitely um, works. This is from Danny. Um, is crying out the best way to get a baby to self-soothe?
3: Here's the hard thing. Um, you, your nervous system is built to respond to your child's needs. Um, when you respond to a baby, over and over and over again. We used to say, don't spoil your baby. Now we know that that was a misguided concept. You can absolutely spoil a nine month old or a 12 month old or a 15 month old and limit setting and discipline becomes quite important later on. But in those first six months, You want to respond as much as you can to your baby's needs because you're building something that's called attachment or trust and security and confidence and a belief that the people who love you will always be there for you. That becomes the foundation of all of your intimate relationships for the rest of your life. So it's quite important to be there when your baby needs you. Mm -hmm. Having said that, if you're in the shower and you come out and found out that your baby was crying for the last five minutes, you don't need to worry about that. That's not gonna be psychologically traumatizing to your baby. It's just one experience out of hundreds that your baby has. Um, that's the exception to the rule. Mm. Now, um, now letting your baby cry it out at night is absolutely a technique that's being used by by and recommended by pediatricians as a way to help parents who are so exhausted to try to get their babies to have more extended sleep periods. In general, we don't recommend that until four or five or six months of age um, yeah. because we, we want babies to be attended to in those earlier months. But if you're exhausted, if you're not able to take care of your other kids, if you almost got into a car accident because you're so so sleepy, if you're getting into fights with your spouse because you're both so sleep deprived or you're, you're depressed and you're not able to do the fun- function well... Absolutely. uh, Doing a crying it out routine is something to consider, but you want to do it correctly. If you don't do it correctly, it's as likely to create more problems as as it is to solve problems.
2: So what's the correct way to do it?
3: Well, the most important thing is to understand that um, that you don't want to be giving a mixed signal to your child. So say you have a five-month-old and now they just started to, or a four-month-old, they're going through the four-month sleep regression, and now they were sleeping great and now they're waking up every two hours because they just want a, your social, you know, they want to play. So you go in, you make sure they didn't catch their arm in a strange position or they didn't vomit, but you just pop your head in and you, and you have white noise playing, and you say, I love you, go to sleep, and boom, you're outside. Right. And the old saying is you put cotton in your ears and gin in your stomach, and then you <laughs> wait five minutes, and the screaming is louder than it's ever been before. Then you pop your head in again and say, I love you, honey, go to sleep. And then you're out again. You do not go to the bedside. You do not pet them or pick them up or that kind of a thing. And then you're out for now seven minutes, and then you pop your head in again, and then 10 minutes, and be prepared for this to go on for 45 minutes or an hour. And it may happen two or three times in a row before the child finally learns and gives up. That is one approach. Let me just say that there's another approach, which is where you go to your child, and you do pick your child up, and you hold them and settle them. And then you put them back down. And then they cry right away, you pick them up again, and you do pick up and put down 50 times in a row right. until they finally give in. And that is also a fair way to do it. It's either, either you know, it's either, you know, one way, one extreme or the other, but don't try to do it in the middle, because that's going to make your, your child go crazy.
1: I really like that you've just said that, actually, because there'll be a lot of people listening that um, that don't want to use the cry out technique. Um, yeah, absolutely fine too and I think like you know there are other options there are different ways of doing things and I think it's really important to stress that but also like you said you can't really do it halfway house because it's confusing for them, it's confusing for you and I think if you do, if you are going to have a go you've got to have a plan and stick to it it is brutal listening to your baby cry like that but you do get results so. Yeah I
2: feel like I did it with Axel who's my oldest and the first time around I found it really really difficult but then with Gigi I did it to get her like into a good nap routine um but I only had to do it one day and then after that she sort of got it and I think maybe it's because I was calmer and and more confident in knowing that I was knowing what I was doing and getting it right um that she picked up on that I guess
3: What's Gigi's temperament? Is she an easygoing kid, or is she a fiery little kid? Or
2: she's she's easygoing, so chill. Oh my god, she's chill. Yeah, she is chill. I'm very lucky
3: (laughs) that she's. This is is where it's important for a parent to understand their child's temperament before they go into a sleep routine. Because if you have an easygoing child, yeah, it's not going to be so difficult. If you have a tenacious, you know, kind of, I am do or die kid, you know, it's going to be a much harder struggle. And so you need to be prepared for that. and, And you have a cue to what's gonna happen if you know your child's temperament.
2: Yeah, and um, we've got quite a few questions on this and I think, Zoe you'll probably um, yeah. like to know the answer too. Early wake-ups, oh, what yeah. on earth do we do about early wake-ups? Children waking up at 5 a.m. every single day.
3: Um, next question.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so they usually say there are two types of sleepers um, they're the they're the um, night owls and the larks. Larks wake up early and go to bed early, and night owls stay up late and wake up late. And so these t- tend to also run in families. So in general, if you have a child who's waking up early, um, you can try to do some things. Of course, use the white noise, like we were saying, you try to darken their Um, their curtains, uh, their windows rather, so that there's not a lot of light coming in. That's cueing their brains, even when your eyes are closed, by the way, you perceive light, uh, through your eyelids and even through your skull. Um, and so, um, darkening the room is something that can be helpful and the sound, the white noise should be low pitch and rumbly and about as loud as a shower. Um, but, um. To a certain degree, there's some kids who just wake up early and you need to go to bed early if you have a child like that, because it's very, very tough to be able to, to change that. And enjoy the morning light. Enjoy being out before anyone before, you know, when they're delivering the milk. It, it, it is a challenge. It is a challenge.
1: I mean, myself and my husband go to bed between... Kind of eight thirty and nine thirty every single night. We're asleep because we have a we have a little kino in the house. Who just wants to get on with the day? She's like, I get on with the day. I'm like I don't want to get on with the day.
2: Oh, I, don't. I was saying to Zoe like I'm I'm an early wake. I, I wake up early. I always have. And I said to Zoe the other day, I came downstairs at five o'clock and I was sitting in the living room looking onto the street, and I couldn't believe the amount of parents out walking between 5am and 6.30. There Mm -hmm. were so many walking with prams, walking with, you know, like walking along with toddlers, so many. I don't know if maybe that's the coping technique is like get up and get them out and just get on with the day. Um, But it was unbelievable. There's so many people who have that.
1: Yeah, the early morning club. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We've had a lot of questions, um, Dr. Carp, about improving short daytime naps. So people are saying Mm -hmm. their baby sleeps through the night, but in the day they're only sleeping for a maximum of 30 minutes at a time.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's quite common, especially once kids get to be that, that three month mark or two and a half to three months. Um, because they're more interested in what's going on in the world. Um, So um, it is, again, useful to get them into a routine that's predictable. Babies are learning, like I said, and if the environment is the same environment that they have when they go to sleep at night, that helps them to recognize the cue that they should take a nap now. But babies go through, we all have sleep cycles. The normal adult sleep cycle is one and a half hours. So we go into deep sleep and then we come into light sleep and we actually even wake up a little bit. For babies, it it can be more like 45 minutes, give or take, um, that they go through these deep and light sleep cycles. And when they get into light sleep, then they're curious, maybe they're a little bit hungry, maybe they hear a sound, maybe they smell something and that can perk them all the way awake. So to the degree that you can um, help them not pay attention to these other signals, um, in in general, you can help babies sleep better. So how do you help them not pay attention to those signals? Well, you can darken the room, you can use the white noise like I was suggesting. Um, Snoo is the other way, they have that rhythmic motion it's important that they not sleep in swings or rock and plays, however, because those have been associated with serious problems um, and even deaths, uh, because babies have very heavy heads and their heads lull forward, uh, and, um, and that can make for uh, breathing difficulties for the baby. So, in general, those are the best things, and usually a good feeding. I know some people say feed the baby, then play, and then put them to sleep. In general, I find that most babies fall asleep while they're nursing. And when they have a full tummy of warm milk, actually, it's when they fall asleep the best. So I, I tend to put them to sleep right after they've had a good feeding.
2: Oh, that's interesting. And when, well, like how early can you implement a sleep routine? We've had quite a few sort of questions around newborn sleep. And when can you start that routine?
3: So there's a concept of infant led feeding or parent led feeding. If you have five children, you practice parent led feeding, which means you feed the baby when you can, because you have five other kids to take care of. When it's your only child, you can be more indulgent of your baby's um, pattern. Um, In general, what I recommend is that um, if the baby has been asleep more than an hour and a half or two hours, absolute maximum during the day, I would try to wake the baby up and do a feeding. Um, and the purpose of that is the more calories you get in during the day, the fewer calories they end up needing yeah. in the middle of the night. Yeah. And so um, you can try to wake them up. Sometimes everything you try doesn't work and they're dead into dead to the world. But um, I would offer a, a feeding every hour and a half to two hours for babies who are nursing. If they're bottle-fed, you can go two, two and a half hours during the daytime. And um, that's usually the best way that you get them on a schedule. Um, I don't subscribe to... To keeping you know, a book and writing it down and making sure it's down to the minute, I think that you know we haven't changed a lot in the last thousand years. Our parents didn't used to have um, hourglasses or wristwatches to to time their babies' feeding. So I think that um, I mean you can do that if if that's uh, if that feels like it's useful to you, but I really don't think that that's the uh, the norm that babies expect.
2: Okay, this is interesting. I guess. A lot, of our, a lot of the books that we read are always aimed towards putting babies down in their cots to sleep, you know, during the day, but that's not always practical. We've got things to do. We might have to, you know, like get other children from school. So how do we get our babies to sleep on the go? You know, if we're out, you know, out with the buggy or out in the carrier or whatever, how do we get into doing that? That's a great question, because that's something that Kit would never do. He would only yeah. sit in the
1: dark with the white noise in his cot, in his room, never anywhere else.
3: So, so again, it it really depends on your child's temperament and how uh, curious they are about the world. Uh, Some babies, as soon as they're in the the pram, they'll just fall asleep, or in the carrier, they'll just fall asleep. Others are constantly craning their necks, they want to see the doggy, they want to see the truck that passes by. And, um, and it's not, it's not um, a one and done either. Sometimes they go through a period when it works, and then a period when they're, when they're much more distractible. So um, in general, Babies like rhythms, and so carrying the baby and having them on your front or on your back is something that helps them to feel reassured. And And if they're going to give in to sleep, they're more likely to do it when they're carried rather than when they're in a pram. Okay. Okay. That-
2: yes, yeah, so let start with a carrier. Yes, Wow.
3: and really appreciate your opportunity talking about that i hope we get to talk about toddlers sometimes as well because that's even more problematic <laughs> for sons in the babies I yeah,
1: absolutely. I that's a separate yeah. episode i think dr carl <laughs> especially in my household anyway um that's been so helpful thank you you're absolutely amazing and um and um yeah we'll definitely make sure that we we check out the snoo it sounds incredible thank you Thanks. thanks so much
3: thanks so much be safe
1: Oh wow, he was amazing, wasn't he? I loved him.
2: Yeah. But you know what? I love just hearing from different experts. I think the best thing you can do as a mum is hear from all like the, all the people who've got so much experience. Yeah. Sort of decide what works for you, decide what works for your baby, and then create your own like I don't know system or whatever method yeah. whatever
1: you want to call it. Yeah, experiments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, um, I think it's really important as well that across Made by Mamas, you know, we just want to highlight different people's opinions, different people's stories. This is a really safe space to be able to vocalise, you know, your thoughts, your, your, your kind of life experiences, I guess. And he he's definitely, you know, Harvey had like a, a few different ways of looking at things. Like I really liked that answer where he was like the cry it out answer where he said, you know what? One method, you can leave your babies to cry it out. The other one is the pick up and... Shush method and put it put the baby down, pick up again. So he definitely like had different ideas on things, which I think I thought was great. And I loved going yeah. through the things as well. That was really interesting.
2: Yeah, me too. I like the fact that he's he's sort of saying, Whatever you do, you just have to be confident in what you're doing for it to work. Because if yeah. you've got no confidence in it, it's not gonna work. So I think I guess that's a mother's instinct as well isn't it so you know if you're confident that you know what's going on then yeah. it's, it's right
1: yeah and um, also definitely have a plan if you if you can get you you know yourself and your partner or if, you know if it's just you then kind of make get some sort of structure when it comes to sleep in your head and stick to it all the experts that we speak to they always say that bedtime routine is absolutely essential look we don't get it right the whole time but that kind of bath bottle bed structure really does work and if you can be firm on it the minute you start going in and out in and out back into the room sure she Getting angry or whatever—it just it messes them up. It messes you up. So having a structure is good.
2: Yeah, definitely. We definitely both agree on that, don't we? Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> we yeah. love our routine. We do.
1: Yeah. Are you talking about yours and my routine? I love that. I love that. We're we going to get back into that spa day. <laughs> I, no, I know.
2: Yeah, we probably will take a little break from made by mums when lockdown's <laughs> over and the spas are open. You won't see us for dust. <laughs>
1: We'll be recording live from the local car. Um, listen, um, we're going to be back um, on Friday, but we're changing the structure of the podcast slightly, aren't we, G?
2: we are and um, we'd also just love your sort of feedback on how you want it to go it's going to just be um Zoe and i we love doing the q a episodes and we thought it would be a nice opportunity for us to you know answer any of your questions talk about things that have come up on instagram that week and um, from you guys um just anything really uh, so yeah if you've got any ideas let us know
1: yeah so basically it's going to run like this on tuesday we'll have the main episode it will either be from an expert or a well-known face um, Um, or we'll be discussing a certain topic with somebody that we think's got a really passionate story and then on friday you'll get a shorter podcast from us which will be a conversation between georgia and i about something that maybe you guys have put forward for us so we'll be asking you to get a lot more involved on instagram and thank you for the all the responses from the breastfeeding and bottle feeding posts that georgia put up last night we are getting through all of those comments but all of your stories are really really brilliant so thank you Um, and we'd also love you to rate review and subscribe to the podcast if you've got time a little five-star review would be lovely
2: yes please do and as always if you've got any questions um do drop us a message at made by mamas or on Zoe's own channel at Zoe Hardman um also keep an eye on the Instagram uh, today because we are going to be giving away a snoo the crib that sleep trains your baby so do yeah do keep your eye out for that
1: brilliant and we will see you on Friday for some more
2: chat have a great week